From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. And if you're anything like your budget tracker, you will want to be having extra coffee on hand this week because we're in for a long one. The Senate is going to be taking up this massive coronavirus aid package, which they hope to pass by week's end. It's going to take a lot of doing, some heavy lifting. Uh, The House passed it over the weekend. We think the Senate will take it up starting on Wednesday. And then we're in for the long, infamous votorama, where endless amendments get introduced on the Senate floor and disposed with one way or another. It could be an all-nighter. That's what we're all bracing for. But they do think that Democrats can can pass this thing on a on what is probably going to be a strict party line vote. Uh, and so today we just want to bring you up to date with what we know about where this bill stands at this moment. Uh, and we did have some developments on Monday, and in particular, Senate Democrats won two procedural battles Monday that did go in their favor. Uh, And this is on, they are procedural, but they're important because otherwise they wouldn't be part of this package. One was about rescuing these failing union pension plans. And the other one has to do with subsidizing health insurance for workers who lose their jobs. Uh, The Senate parliamentarian ruled that both of those are okay to be part of this package under this budget reconciliation procedure they're using to avoid a a Republican filibuster. So, Jen, that's progress in Democrats' favor. Yeah, Democrats, including Ron Wyden, the uh, Senate finance chairman, were pretty happy about this. Um, But there are some still some internal frustrations among progressive Democrats about the parliamentarian ruling that the increase of the minimum wage from $7.25 an hour to $15 an hour uh, cannot be included in the final coronavirus reconciliation package. And so one of the things we heard from Budget Committee Chairman Bernie Sanders uh, Monday evening is that he expects an amendment vote on the Senate floor later this week about adding the minimum wage increase back into the bill. Exactly how that is going to take place, we're not entirely sure yet. But it sounds like Sanders and some other progressive Democrats really want to put Republicans and potentially some of their moderate colleagues on the record on whether or not they support this minimum wage increase or not. We obviously don't expect that to have the votes necessary to be added back into the package, um, but it is sort of a a procedural tactic to get uh, potentially vulnerable Republicans on the record on most likely not supporting the minimum wage increase. Yeah, that is the issue that's not going away anytime soon. Uh, you had you had a group of House progressives yesterday write a letter to President Biden on this very point, saying saying essentially, why aren't you willing to fight for this? You campaigned on a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, and and now you're saying, you know, you're not willing to challenge the Senate parliamentarian who ruled that it violates the rules to put this in. They're saying you should fight it. Biden's saying no, he won't, and politely saying no, he won't. But he'll still he'll still try for a minimum wage through other legislation. And Bernie Sanders was having none of it yesterday, and he and he said 
he said this idea that we have a Senate staffer is how he dismissed the parliamentarian deciding whether 30 million Americans get a pay raise or not to him is nonsensical. Uh, and so he is going to introduce an amendment to try to, to try to bring this minimum wage back in this package. The problem Democrats have, though, and that the White House didn't, wouldn't say directly, but it's obvious, is that Democrats are divided themselves and don't have the votes. That's why Biden's not going to fight for it in this package. I mean, there's at least two Democrats, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, who don't want this in there. And so even if, even if they were to wage the procedural fight, they don't even have a simple majority to get this in this package. So that's the problem Sanders has. And, and he sort of knows that. He knows the writing's on the wall. And he, his statement last night acknowledged that his view is not shared by the majority of the Democratic caucus. So he knows this isn't going to happen in this package now, but he is making a symbolic stand uh, which which he's going to lose uh, to keep this issue on the table and to to make sure that that the White House continues to fight for this and they will that you know once this package is done you can bet the White House will find other ways to try to get a minimum wage passed um, it's but it's not going to be easy because Republicans hate this idea they think it's going to cost a lot of jobs. And Democrats are not united on it. So they have, they have work ahead for them on this one. Yeah, and then one of the other things that we're going to be watching this week is a group of Senate Democrats um, spoke with President Biden on Monday. Um, and afterwards, a couple of them, including Senator John Tester and Senator Joe Manchin, both said that they expect some sort of tweaks to certain parts of this coronavirus relief package this week sounds like potentially some changes to the direct stimulus payments, um, as well as possibly some changes to other sections um, of the package, including the $350 billion in direct aid for local, state, territorial, and tribal governments. Uh, neither wanted to go into details on exactly what those tweaks would be or how many elements of the bill would be changed a little bit. Um, but it sounds like it's not going to be too substantial, um, with Senator Tester telling reporters that his guess is it's probably going to change, quote, pretty modestly. And so that's another thing that everyone is, is trying to track this week, um, because obviously in a 50-50 Senate, the only way this passes is that you get all Democrats on board, and then you have Vice President Kamala Harris cast that tie-breaking vote. And so you really do need moderate Democratic senators to support the package overall. And so it sounds like that's uh, a lot of the behind-the-scenes conversations right now among the White House and Democratic leadership in the Senate is how do we make sure that Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and others can really support this package overall. And so we're expecting um, some of those changes to come a little bit clearer today and then definitely um, heading into Votorama. We'll likely have a good look at how Democrats are going to change this package. And then, of course, the other big thing that everyone is trying to track this week is how Republicans are going to try to change this package in the Senate because they, of course, are going to be really strategic about the amendments that they put forward in terms of trying to create challenging votes for moderate Democrats, um, and especially Democrats who might be up for tough re-election battles in 2022. Yeah. And one thing to keep in mind, Jen, is they, they, are, they do want to make some tweaks, 
And there may be now a little extra money to, to, to do these tweaks because by stripping out the minimum wage boost, they save about $60 billion, I think, um, is what the Congressional Budget Office had calculated it would cost the federal government in terms of, in terms of uh, added benef- federal benefits that had to be paid and whatnot for unemployed workers. Um, so there's the savings there that now could be applied elsewhere in the bill. Uh, so they, have, they might have a little more fiscal space to, to make some tweaks that might cost a little extra money. They have talked about tweaking the formula for, for giving aid to state and local governments. So if they want to be a little more generous, maybe to some localities, who knows? That's a possibility. They have talked about tailoring the tax rebate checks a little more to, you know, tailored more toward lower income people. Uh, as opposed to these upper middle class people who may not even have been affected by the pandemic in terms of losing their jobs. Um, whether that costs more money to do that, I don't know, but they they may have a little more extra to play with. Yeah, and of course, the important thing to remember is that the way Democrats wrote their reconciliation instructions in that sort of shell budget resolution, right, the way that they are on this fast track process where they avoid the legislative filibuster in the Senate is that they set a ceiling on how much each of these authorizing committees could approve in legislation. And so there's there's a limit on how much money Democrats can spend in this this package and still advance it under the reconciliation process. So there's a lot of attention being paid by a lot of staffers, both Republicans and Democrats, about the total amount of spending in this bill. Uh, Because obviously, if they go over their limit, uh, they lose the privileges of reconciliation. Right. And they they have to be just under $1.9 trillion total. Um, And we should say, you know, this, this pensions... Uh, provision that was just saved in the, by the in the by the parliamentarian. That's sort of a pricey item. That that's that costs about eighty two billion dollars over the decade. Um, so that right there is sort of a pricey item that now will be part of this package, which Republicans hate. Um, they say it's a bailout to these union plans that that um, was unnecessary, and of course has nothing to do with the pandemic itself. Uh, and so they really resented this being included in this package. And Democrats say, of course, that you're, these these plans are going to go belly up and you're really going to be depriving a lot of hardworking union people of their livelihoods and, and an income if you let them fail. And so it would just compound the economic damage of the pandemic. And so that's why they want it in there. Um, it's a little pricey and it is it is going to be part of it now. And the same thing with with the health insurance issue. I mean, that's sort of a big deal to people who, um, you know, there's this COBRA law that says if you lose your job, you can you can elect to buy coverage through still through your old employer uh, under this under this so-called COBRA pr- program that the federal government offers. Problem is always that, of course, it's very costly to do it, and most people can't afford the premiums to do that when they're out of a job. And what this does is offer them subsidies so that they can afford it and they can keep health coverage. And the Congressional Budget Office said they expect like over 2 million people to obtain coverage as a result of the of these subsidies. So that's kind of a big deal too. And it looks like that will survive this package. Yeah. And I expect that some of these provisions that Democrats say are 
related to the coronavirus pandemic and the type of economic impacts we've seen throughout the last year um, in terms of unemployment, in terms of people losing their health insurance in the middle of a global pandemic. Democrats argue that these are all directly related to the pandemic and are justifiable in a coronavirus relief package. But we've heard from Republicans time and time again that they think a lot of elements in this package, this $1.9 trillion bill, which is a really substantial amount of spending, don't relate directly to getting people vaccinated or helping small businesses kind of weather the last few months of limited, you know, restaurant seating, for example, or, you know, people not being comfortable going shopping because they need to wear a mask and they feel like they need to use hand sanitizer constantly. So one of the things that I expect to see from the Votorama process in the Senate later this week is Republicans really messaging about elements in this bill that they don't believe are directly related to weathering the last few months of the pandemic. Um, and those two provisions are potentially ripe for Republican amendments. Yeah. And Republicans have harped on this point continuously, saying there's too much in here that's not related to the pandemic or that would take so long to spend the money that it, that it, doesn't, it doesn't respond in a timely way. Uh, they, do, they do have grounds for saying that a, that a good chunk of this money would not be spent this year, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, and that is true, particularly a lot of the school funding uh, would not be spent this year. Um, and Democrats have not responded to that very well, in my opinion. They haven't, they haven't really had a good rebuttal to that, except, you know, sometimes these, it takes time for contracts to be let. And when you're talking about things like reconfiguring schools or improve ventilation systems in schools, that can, that can uh, conceivably take time to happen. Uh, it's not something that can be done overnight. So that may be why a lot of this money would take a few years to spend out. Um, but it does it does give Republicans a talking point here that says, if this is so urgent, how come how come the money can't be spent even this year? Uh, Democrats are going to blow right past that argument and say it's nonetheless needed, and we can't wait. And the longer we wait, you know, it'll just take even even that much longer to spend the money. So. So we need to go ahead and, and get it going. So I don't know, but there's going to be, we're, we're facing who knows how many amendments, Jen, Thursday night, I guess it'll be the Votorama. Yeah, I think Votorama is going to be Thursday night into Friday morning. And the important thing to sort of remember about this Votorama is um, the amendments are real. The amendments will sort of go into law as opposed to the amendments on the budget resolution you know, budget resolution doesn't get enacted into law by a president's signature. Um, and so these are going to be things that really can change the substance of the bill, um, the sort of final enacted bill. And so I think it's going to be uh, pretty lengthy. I think the last photorama on the budget resolution wrapped up around 5.30 in the morning, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, God. Yeah, I think it was 5.30 in the morning last time on the budget resolution. Um, and so I'm expecting something just as long, if not longer for this. Um, so definitely plan accordingly, you know, make sure you have your caffeine well stocked, make sure you have a lot of snacks, maybe some emotional supported ice cream if you're at all like me, because it's going to be a lengthy, lengthy process. So get that coffee brewing and we'll try to get through this, uh, Votorama and see if they can get this bill across the floor, or you can just sleep in and, and call up uh, CQ and roll call in the morning and see what they did. 
That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. 